I'm so, so proud of the journey that we're on. Really, really happy pastor. I actually felt a bit overwhelmed a number of times this week just thinking, as I was praying the Lord's Prayer, you know, how many people I knew were praying it in that same hour's bracket. And here's this fasting stats from last, you said, you know, you wondered whether I was going to say them or not. Look, at so the blues last week, the reds this week. Um, and so like, I think, where's Matt? Was it, what was the total number? Do you remember? It was in the 60s, eh? Yeah, so like just a, like a large chunk of our adult population, like full noise fasting. And we've got nearly 40 people there on Thursday this week praying. I mean, that's so encouraging. Um, and, and others that aren't participating in the food fast but are doing other significant things in correlation with that, the vast majority of our church is deeply engaged with the CQ season, and I'm so grateful. Thank you. And the reward's what we just experienced. He, just, he loves drawing near to people hungry after him. And, and folks... We're on a journey, but we want to raise the waterline so that there's a new normal more and more and more around our expectancy of what God can do. I want to, um, I want to uh, unpack this morning that whole thing of reward. And I've already talked about his presence. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more later. But um, the Bible is dripping with this imagery of people seeking after God. And listen to this. And how much God loves it. I've, I've already really got snot happening. Early, I didn't expect it at this stage. Um, he loves, he loves, and he rewards those that seek the King and the Kingdom. I'm just going to rip through a whole stack of scriptures. I could have a whole lot more, but have a listen to this. Two Chronicles 16 verse nine: For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Proverbs three six: Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Lamentations, therefore I recall this to my mind. Therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Lamentations 3.25, I just said that. Oh, that's embarrassing. Um, (laughs) Psalm 24, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jesus' words, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Uh, Luke 18, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And Matthew 6.33, our theme scripture, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So there's this great delight in the heart of God as we seek him. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. I want to show uh, this morning the connection between the reward of God and the discipleship journey that we're on as a church. And uh, John 5.19, the Bible is fascinating scripture. The vineyard movement's really anchored in the scripture where Jesus says, Jesus says, 
I only do what I see my father doing. And so what we need to train ourselves to to do is like, Lord, what are you doing so that we can bless it? Rather than here's what we're doing, Lord, would you bless it? And so it's like, what are you doing, Lord? We want to bless it. And so around the, so as a pastor, my thing is like, I'm looking around the world, Lord, what are you doing so that we as a church can be part of that and bless what you're doing at this time? And there's a number of things the Lord's doing at the church at the moment. We're going to speak to these over the next couple of weeks. Today, I want to look at discipleship and the context in the context of the reward of God when we diligently seek Him. Next week, we're going to unpack the prophetic, which is beginning to build again around the world where it's moving moving from just the prophetic man or woman of God that comes and visits to a church culture because everyone can hear the voice of God. And if you can hear the voice of God, He will speak to you in a way that will bless others and and unlock something of His kingdom. So we're going to unpack that next week. And then the following week, we're going to look at prayer, the fact that the Lord's restoring prayer, a prayer culture, a house of prayer to to the church. So I want to look this morning at discipleship because what the Lord's doing is He's restoring the way of Jesus to the church. He's been just, he's, uh, and so uh, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 to 6, Jesus says this, uh, John says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And Jesus over and over said, come and follow me, not come and believe in me. Come and fo-. Now we've banged on about this and we will continue to bang on about it, okay? Like this is literally fire in my bones. It's like we've got to restore discipleship to the church. And here's why. For, uh, Barna did a study uh, a number of years ago, pre-COVID, uh, tracking millennials. So those born between 1981 and 1996 that grew up in the church. Does that make sense? Everyone got that? Oh, they tracked them. Guess how many, what percentage of those went on to have a faith that saw them engaged with the church community. 8%. So these kids grew up in the church, all this energy, all this money, all this resource. And and like, if you look at the, what spurts out at the end of the factory, 8%. It's just like, that's not tweak the dials on the factory. That's rebuild the factory. That's hit, hit the red alert button and go, we've got a whole, we are not making disciples. So what's going on here? So I'm, like this is not a small thing. This is significant for the church at the moment. And what a joy that he, the Lord's restoring discipleship to the church. Um, but sadly, for much of the evangelical church for a long time, uh, particularly where we've grown up in Christian nations, in inverted commas, it's been really easy and super common to have a nominal faith, which is basically a syncretism between Jesus and the values of our wider culture. So no major change in terms of how you live your life. People have Jesus bolted onto life, come to church a couple of times a month, and it's like there's, but there's no radical edge. It's a nominal faith. Uh, and, and normally orientated around trying to improve your life, around consumerism. Um, so the spirituality in that context is more about the self-life rather than the self-death that leads to the resurrection life. Mike Moriarty stunningly in his devotional talk this week, captured this. Absolutely stunning. He said this, I used to think God was like a handy helper that you could call on from time to time. Since going with Jesus, I'm, since going deeper with Jesus, I'm learning that he is everything. Amen. That is just summarized to perfection, the journey from nominal to 
disciple of Jesus and the life that's found in that. Jesus is everything. What a line. Now that's a biblical perspective of the Christian faith. That's Paul's heart. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Everything was Jesus. Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, you've all heard the scripture a million times, we just haven't lived it. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're a dead person. (laughs) Holy and pleasing to God, this is your proper worship. Following Jesus, friends, is a radical commitment to orientate our life around Him, to apprentice to Him, to learn how to live His life, carry His heart, live His priorities, live His way. And through learning spiritual disciplines and practices, we apprentice under Jesus and learn to be with Him, to become like Him, and to do what He would do if He was us. You've heard us say that once or twice. So here's the problem, though. Uh, and John Mark Comer, uh, an incredible apostolic leader that, again, I'm like, I'm, he's, he's full noise for me. Um, he argues that since World War II, the church has emphasised salvation as transaction rather than salvation as transformation. So you can quite easily go to a church for 20 years but be a one- or two-year-old Christian over and over and over again because we have this idea of salvation being transaction rather than discipleship to Jesus. The focus has been on the salvation moment and the transaction with what God has done with, for you, not the invitation of, uh, to follow Jesus. And part of the problem is the definition of the gospel we have emphasised in the evangelical church. Most of us will be familiar with this definition of the gospel, right? You would have heard this, I heard this growing up. You are a sinner destined for hell. Uh, So that's good news. Uh, And I just want to point out that often we have to do some work on the nature of hell because whatever springs to mind there may not be theologically true. Um, And if that is triggering you, I recommend a book called um, Consuming Fire by Edward Fudge. It's a great point to start to tidy up some of that. Um, But anyway, and I'm maybe going to preach on hell at some point. I feel like I really want to. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, but anyway, you are de- sinner destined for hell. God loves you and sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins. If you believe in him, you can go to heaven when you die. Kind of that's the, been the buzz that we've, that's what I kind of heard for the most part. Um, now, John Mark Comer, who I'm riffing off at the moment, says this, everything in that summary is technically and theologically true. A whole lot of people just chilled out a whole lot because it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. But the priest says, the problem is it sounds nothing like the gospel Jesus preached. Gospel of Mark, an authority on the gospel. <laughs> gospel. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news, the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The formulation of the gospel he just mentioned does not require you to be a disciple of Jesus in order to experience salvation. If that's If that's all we have, I love this, we have become consumers of Jesus' grace rather than disciples of Jesus' way. That's a mic drop moment right there. So Paul's framework, of course, is the same. You would never, ever, ever hear Paul ask you, hey, so when did you get saved? You're just, that wouldn't be in his, literally wouldn't be in his radar. For the Apostle Paul, salvation was an ongoing process that began at baptism and doesn't end until death. Paul writes about salvation in the past, present, and future tense. And so do all of the early church mothers and fathers. So for John Mark Comer again, for Paul and the early church fathers, formation wasn't something that happened after salvation. It was salvation. 
So Jesus, let's look at the Great Commission. When Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I will be with you to the end of the age. But listen to that, Mike, there's a key word there. Teaching them to what? Understand, believe, hear about. No, obey. Teaching them to obey what Jesus said and taught. Teach them to obey, to live it out, to embody it, to imitate it. To do all the stuff that Jesus taught and modelled, that's what we're called to live out, to obey. So prayer, fasting, scripture reading, Sabbath, silence and solitude, giving, generosity, care for the poor. Our purpose in life is to be a disciple, helping that kind of framework and lifestyle increasingly become our lifestyle, and to make disciples, to help others discover this life in Jesus. Now, the, the, the truth is it's always an invitation with Jesus. So you can come to faith in Jesus. I'm not talking about where you're going to heaven or hell when you die and all that sort of stuff. You can come, and if you want, you can be a two-year-old Christian for the rest of your life. The problem is you're going to live the life of the world, not the life of the kingdom. And the kingdom life is so much richer and it's what your soul longs for. It's like having a tyre that's out of alignment. You can still drive the car. It's just a lot of energy and it's going to cost you. If you have the car in alignment, it's super easy and it's just the way it's meant to be. And this is the thing, when you don't follow the way of Jesus and you have this two-year-old faith bolt under the thing, like you pay the price with mental health, with stress, with anxiety, with a loss of peace, a loss of satisfaction, disillusionment. Basically, you live out Ecclesiastes, hallelujah, so be encouraged. Or you can come to follow Jesus and walk into the Jesus lifestyle more and more and more. You can live with faith and Jesus in a lifestyle that looks radically different from the world around us and be consumed with Him. And so the Lord is restoring discipleship and the way of Jesus to the church, hallelujah. Now stay with me, we're going to get to the reward. But I've been mulling over this week. Uh, as we follow Jesus with real intention, genuinely apprentice under Him, I've been, just, I've been hit with how transforming spiritual practices or disciplines are. The habits of formation into Christ-likeness. From both personal experience, this is why I'm so passionate about this. Like this is what evangelists are meant to do, right? It's like, like we, you don't evangelize because you know a certain phrase to say or theory or a little riff or whatever. You evangelize because you have experienced the good news of the kingdom. You're living it. It's done to the life of God. And you're like, you don't want anyone to miss out on this. I feel like that sometimes. I'm like, oh, I long for everyone in my church, everyone I'm driving past here. Oh, I long for them to feel like I'm feeling filled with love and joy and peace. And so, uh, but also I'm convinced of it because the last four years as if we have banged the disciples jump real hard, I've just, you know, you kind of hope. So I hope it wasn't just me that this works for. You know, you're like, oh, because otherwise we've, you know, we've really messed up some lives and made them a bit tricky for a while there. And, not, and like, mate, the, the feedback that I just, every, I mean, every time I go to Upper Click on a Thursday morning with our boys, I'm having an ecstasy attack about what God's doing because it's true. The way of Jesus is the way to life. But here's the process I've noticed, the pattern, that I think could be helpful for, the, for us to articulate, particularly because a huge chunk of us have been fasting this week, and how fun was that? 
Who was just like, oh man, I can't wait. I'm so happy I signed up for next week as well. Hello, anyone here just entertaining thoughts of an off-ramp? Well, here's, I'm trying to dial, I'm trying to adjust some of that this morning, okay? I'm trying to give us a good go team talk. Say, no, let's hold the line, hang in there. Only two more weeks to go, we can do this. But here's the, the process that happens when you're like, no, I'm gonna start following the way of Jesus and I'm gonna take a spiritual discipline and try and make that my new lifestyle. Here's what happens. First up, you get revealed. You get exposed. When you start first trying a, a new spiritual discipline, it's difficult, weird, disorientating, uncomfortable, and not fun. It's like learning an instrument. I've been watching our boys learn uh, instruments over the last couple of years, and I've got video of it, which I didn't ask permission, so I'm not going to show them. But all the boys, it's like when they start, it's painful. It's, and it's like, oh, oh, Lord have mercy. I think I've got a slide. There we go. It's just like, you know, playing cats or, you know, it's like, it's just painful. But it's like, hang in there, kids. Keep working it. Every week, keep practicing. You know, no, we'll practice and I'll tell you off if you don't practice. I'm going to give rewards if you do practice. I'm going to do everything. Keep practicing. It's worth it. And our boys now have been playing instruments for a couple of years and they're starting to crack through. And I'm starting, and, it's, and what was really uncomfortable and weird is slowly becoming muscle memory. We're like, ah, and they just begin to do it. Now, when you first try a practice in the way of Jesus, it's mainly exposing. (laughs) And and here's what the gift of it, though, is it reveals the deformation that has taken place in your life, the habits and thoughts that have become normal. It's revealing because it shows where we're really at, and it can feel confronting and uncomfortable. For example, prayer. Prayer, whole lot of things. They're like, I'm going to have a quiet time. I'm sick of not having a quiet time. I'm going to have a quiet time. And you go have a quiet time and it's like it exposes you you don't know how to pray or it can expose if there's a deeper thing there, your image of God. Maybe he's an angry policeman waiting to tell you off. And it's like, why would you want to hang out with that guy? I mean, you know, so I'm going to try and have a prayer time to alleviate my guilt because I'm a bad Christian is kind of how our thinking goes. Um, But I don't really want to do it because I don't really like who I'm going to go spend time with. I'm a bit fearful about what he may say or do in that space. Um, or, you know, that's, and I want to do a whole sermon on image of God down the track of all these sermons in the pipeline. Um, that'll be next year. But, um, but the, the other, you know, classic one, right, in terms of what prayer exposes is how busy we are. Now, here's the thing. So I don't have time. Now, that's not true. What it exposes is the priorities of your time. You can tweet that one. That's a goodie. It's a zinger. So everyone's got the same 24 hours. And it's been amazing over the last number of years. Those that were most skeptical about the time they had to spend with Jesus, three years later are spending the most time with him. They have prioritized it because that's where the life is. Again, that's our whole image. So it exposes all sorts of stuff. And that's not fun. Um, fasting. Let's have a look at what that exposes. Now, <laughs> I'm fairly developed in a bunch of spiritual disciplines, but fasting was very, very rarely used for me over the last 10 years. As I've said a number of times, I specialise in feasting. I feel like there's a grace on my life for that, and I really feel like I like speaking to that, and I really model that well. (laughs) But uh, a couple of months ago, just the Lord began to do the whole, hey, mate, how about we step into this? Again, discipleship moment. Do I want to follow the way of Jesus or King's stomach, you know? You know, it's like, Jesus, I do want you. (sighs) And it exposes so much stuff. 
Um, and I believe that every, uh, every practice that God invites me into, this is a core belief for me, everything he invites me into is motivated by love and will lead me to life. So he's not doing it to make me have difficult, hungry days. He's doing it because he, there's a gift. There's some, and I'm going to unpack that in a second. But for me, it's, ex, it's been so exposing. I've had a weekly rhythm of fasting for a number of months now, and now we're in this season of prayer and fasting. And it's like, it has been so exposing about how, how big a deal King's stomach was for me. And how much my life was orientated around food for comfort and pleasure and reward. And like remove that, and it's like, oh, man, this is interesting. Oh, no. <laughs> um, one last example, uh, Sabbath. Fascinating in Hebrews 4. I was reading that this week uh, in the Bible in a year. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 4. I'm just going to read the passage and, and speak to a couple of things here. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go away because of their disobedience, just a little note there, like disobedience, like following the way of Jesus is disobedience, but it's okay. Um, God again set a certain time calling today, blah, blah. And says this. Today, if you hear your heart, hear his voice, to, listen, it's so powerful. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The issue in much of us, right, is a hard heart, a lack of willingness to follow the way of Jesus. And Lord, I pray you'd just soften our hearts to your invitation. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. But listen, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is in the New Testament. So this is in the New Covenant. Now, it's an invitation. It's not a requirement anymore. It's just an invitation. Hallelujah. It's, again, the grace bedrock's still there. We're not turning into some legalistic thing, right? But, the, but it remains. It's still there for anyone who enters God's rest, also rest from their works just as God did from His. That's why we do it. He's God. We're not. We rest. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter into that rest. This is important. Willard said this, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So we don't earn any of this stuff, but grace isn't opposed to effort. The number of times in the New Testament, it's like, make the effort. I strenuously contend. We, we fight the spiritual battle to follow the way of Jesus when we've got the world, the flesh, and the devils whispering lies and all sorts of ways to take us off the course that leads to life. Um, Philippians, you know, blah, blah. So that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. There are consequences to not following the way of Jesus. There's a perishing to your soul. For the word, the Greek there is logos. They did not have this when Hebrews was written. They had the Torah, but the Bible doesn't say Torah. It says logos. Who is the logos? It's Jesus. He is the word of God. The, the, the word of God is alive and active. Hallelujah. Sharper than any double-edged sword. We've preached this about the Bible. It's in the context of Sabbath rest. How it penetrates sharply and through dividing soul and spirit, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Like Sabbath is confronting. I've been practicing Sabbath since the mid-2000s. At one point, I needed to go see a counsellor because I had exposed my brokenness. I couldn't slow down. I was addicted to going. And, and I was like, my value and, and identity was tied up in doing, whereas God was inviting me just to be on that day. It was exposing. But then it brought healing. And, the, and, the, and at the end of that, though, I haven't put it in there, I should have, it finishes, but let's boldly approach the throne of grace. What a good finish. Hallelujah. We can come to Him. In the context of Sabbath, 
of this whole practice, and it's like, sorry, Lord, it's a struggle. I'm try- it's, and honestly, the church has lost this. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's bizarre to me we've been so strong on tithing and so weak on Sabbath. Anyway, whatever. Um, that's, I believe in giving, but that's another conversation. Um, but whatever practice that you start with, it's initially exposing. It, it, it cuts through the heart, exposes all sorts of stuff. But when, next slide. Um, but, but when you do this, here's the, there's this concept called the J-curve. We've spoken about this before, um, where it's like when you initially go, yeah, I'm going to tick along. When you try something new, normally you feel worse and it's lamer. And you're like, why did I even think about doing this? And there's a temptation to go back to your old way of living because you haven't cracked through to the new life yet because it's been exposing. Don't give up. Yeah. Don't give up. Don't give up fasting this week. Don't give up. And, it, and it's not a linear curve that's a better thing with the lights up and down and we're all messy and all over the show, but eventually you crack in to new life. And so the second thing it does, it reveals, the second thing is it begins to restore us. It begins to heal us. It begins to slowly transform us if we don't give up. The exposure leads to prayer about what has been revealed if you navigate that wisely. Next slide. Here's a whole bunch of things that happens in that restoring time. You need to talk to mates about it, about what's been brought up. That's a healthy thing to do. I've been to therapy a whole lot or counselling to process the brokenness that's been exposed. I've journaled like bananas, my frustration. The Psalms are terrible theology, but a great model to pray. You don't dash babies' heads on the rocks. Let's just not do that. It's terrible theology. But it's a great example about how brutally honest you can be with God and there'll be a practice that'll be great for us to restore. And so journaling is like, I hate this. I hate being hungry. Why, you know, and just journaling all that sort of stuff. Like, how come I can't slow down? I'm so addicted to going. How come I can't say no and get some margin in my life or whatever? It's Or a prayer ministry. We're going to have some opportunity for that today. You'll actually notice on the right-hand side, that's me in the little hat up there. Uh, that photo was taken at Bridgetown when I was at the conference, and I responded to every single altar call. I was like, hallelujah. Saw left over, yeah, that's me, that's it, whatever, man, let's go. I'm like, let's just respond to anything. And, and it's like, you've, in that moment of wrestle, you've got to keep choosing the way of Jesus. You've got to keep bringing him into that wrestle and processing it. But then if you stick with it, you get renewed. You start cracking into new life. I mean, with prayer, intimacy with God and the peace of God and the joy in His presence and stillness and insight and deep joy and delight and the secrets of the secret place start to get revealed. It is just a bottomless pit of glory. Sometimes it's stacking wood. I get that. But then the fire falls down. And if there's wood there, the burn, baby, burn. It's abundant. Like, it, honestly, I just this, this week, this whole thing, it's like this banqueting table. It's so rich. Fasting. Fasting. The flesh, for the first time in a long time in the Western church, is like you are in submission flesh. You're not in charge anymore. That's a crucifixion of the flesh that feeds the spirit. It, it, fasting will break addictions. If you've struggled with pornography or any substance, fast and have a chunky fast, a decent fast. It'll break addictions off your life. It's powerful. It leads to freedom where our bodies are a servant, not a master. Look at Sabbath. What about the blessings there? Listen, this is straight from Scripture, Isaiah 58. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honourable, if you honour it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, it's been a battle for a long time. All of that stuff is there for a reason. Then 
you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride and triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And, I'm, and you know what's so cool? I've been doing a lot of reading about all this. Like all science is coming to the table now and just going, all of the spirit, they're not calling it this, but if you're smart, you can see it. All of the spiritual disciplines are brilliant for you physiologically, mentally, the whole thing. Prayer, it's fascinating how there's a massive push for mindfulness in our culture, which is like prayer without Jesus, trying to be still like empty yourself rather than fill yourself with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of life. But there's a hunger for it because of all the crazy noise. Um, But there's this, I read this this week, a large volume of research, those that people that have a more religious or spiritual and, 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 and practices within that have better mental health, adapt more quickly to health problems compared to those that don't have that. Um, blah, blah, blah. fasting, man, fasting is really good for your body. I know your body's screaming, mercy, feed me, I'm dying. It's not true. It's actually incredibly healing. The, the uh, scientific benefits are profound, improved memory, massive decrease in risk of cancer, and on and on and on. Sabbath, Joel Mark Comer notes in the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry that the Seventh-day Adventists strictly enforce the Sabbath. Um, and on average, they live 10 years longer than the average American. <laughs> if you line all that, uh, that up, it's uh, that uh, if you line all the Sabbaths up in a 70-year life, guess how many years that equates to? 10 years. Everything Jesus calls us to is motivated by love and leads us to life. But it's not easy. I've only mentioned two or three practices there. I could go on and on and on. It's not easy, though. It's a struggle. Discipleship is struggle. So in the season of prayer and fasting, we are learning, uh, we're leaning uh, big time into that at the moment and using these two spiritual disciplines, fasting, which weakens the flesh and strengthens our spirit and puts in our flesh in submission to the higher calling of following the way of Jesus and prayer, which connects us to God. And so we're asking more of his presence and his gracious provision. So here's the reward. The first reward is that in doing, in following the way of Jesus, and by prayer and fasting, we become a little bit more like Jesus. The transformation is slow, but deep and very real. There is enormous reward in following the way of Jesus. Romans 8 verse 18. I consider that our present suffering, which may be fasting, maybe giving up some time in the morning to pray, and maybe living more simply so that we give to the poor, whatever it may be is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed where? In us. In us. The glory that will be revealed in us. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. 2 Corinthians 3. Now the the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 29 says that those that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We We are called to be people that get transformed to be more like Jesus. But that doesn't happen unless you follow the way of Jesus. Tyson says this, regardless of your view of election, either Calvinistic or Arminian, we can agree that the end goal of election is that you be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
This means that your ultimate purpose in life, the purpose behind your hobbies, work, small group, social media, viewing, relationships, sexuality, Netflix watching, and commuting, is pointed at one great aim, your transformation from your broken, sinful self into the gracious, loving, renewed image of Jesus. You have been adopted into the family of God, and you are going to take on a strong family resemblance, that of Jesus. The reward is becoming more like Jesus. And if you are more like Jesus, you live a life of deep freedom. The rewards, the freedom in your soul. If you live like Jesus, the reward is great peace in your hearts and minds. The reward is becoming like Jesus, a non-anxious presence in a stressed out, overwhelmed world. If you follow the way of you and become more like Him, greater joy will permeate your being and ease. There'll be a greater love for your brother and sister. That's Jesus. The first reward is our transformation. And I know it's tough pressing in, but trust me, guys, you are getting changed. I'm watching it with my eyes. It doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen. Come on. But the second and greatest reward is Jesus. The best thing about following Jesus is Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Sometimes spiritual disciplines are like stacking firewood, I get that, but you will crack through. That's the promise of God. You will crack through into greater places of intimacy with him. I finish with this. Most of you guys have heard this story before. Um, Bless your visitors, this is a freshie. But it's the best story I've got on, on encountering God. Um, and when I was studying at Bible College uh, in my third year there, um, as part of my spiritual formation course, I had to go to a monastery for a week to do a silent retreat, pre-mobile phones. So I, I took a stack of books <laughs> and a laptop and just tried to like, and my laptop was just, you know, grey screen and like took two years to boot up and I only had Word. I don't know why I took it. Um, and I planned to try and just survive this thing. And then, like, got you know, convicted and challenged in the first day. And I was like, nah, let's, let's give it a crack. Silence and so for five days. Now, first day and a half or so, my mind was a million miles an hour. And it just it felt like, the, you know, you got mud in a cup and the whole thing just took a while to simmer down and settle. But then by about the day, about one and a half days in, I chilled right out and I'd gone for long prayer walks. And I was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this seriously. And then what began to happen as I began to experience God's love and his presence in a way I hadn't experienced it. I'd experienced once before in an encounter with the Holy Spirit, actually, to be true. But in this moment, it just it built and built and built. By day three, I just felt like I was swimming in liquid love. It's the only way I can describe it. And it wasn't a moment. It was like just all day. I was just walking around just surrounded by his love. And it was day three, day four and five, mate. I mean, I was just, it was unbelievable how strong his presence was. As I practiced silence and solitude involuntarily, a spiritual discipline, what cracked through because I hung in there with it. I was, utter, I was walking around that little monastery, just tears streaming down my face, just it was just overwhelming. I went into my little monk room and closed the door and I put on some, um, some music and I danced before the Lord like I've never danced before. Put on the headphones, no one could hear it, but I danced for hours before the Lord. It was just 
the most rich time I've ever had. It's just unbelievable. And there's this moment where I was sitting down trying to journal this, right? Because it was so intense. It was a form, formative moment in my life. And I'm trying to like get my head around it. And I felt the Lord speak to me clear as, not audibly, but in my heart. I had this little cup of water. Do you remember those little kind of brownie ceramic little cups uh, that you used to have? Uh, there's a photo. Uh, it's not, that's not it. Uh, I couldn't find it. I spent way too long Googling, <laughs> way too long Googling this week <laughs> trying to find one. If anyone's got a photo of one, I'd love it because that was just the rage. They had a little cup like that, half filled with water. And this is what I felt the Lord say to me. Sam, the love that you're experiencing for me in this moment is like that cup of water. Like that's the degree, that's how much of my love you're experiencing. And even that's probably a click too much for you. And I'm like, yes, Lord, it really is. I need to dial it down a click if you can. And he's like, but here's my, here's my actual love for you. And I turned and I looked out the window next slide. And I just saw this ocean as far as the eye could see, filled with, I don't know how, I mean, just countless cups of water. And he's like, that's a better picture of what my love is for you. And I was just like, <laughs> just completely overwhelmed. But friends, let me tell you this. You know, the last week, prayer and fasting, I've been back in the monastery room. I've been back in the monastery. I have felt like not as, I'm like, it's been moments. It hasn't been like all the, but I've had moments where the, like you have the presence of God. I've felt that a lot, the glory of God. Like the, love, the overwhelming love of God. I've had mo- like two moments this week where it's like, oh, I'm back in the monastery. I can feel it. That's the reward. That's the reward. I know we bang on about the presence of God all the time in church, but it, when you start to experience it, it's the reward. Our hearts, it's, it's home, and that's our future in Him. And so, friends, don't give up. Let's not give up fasting this week. Let's not give up prayer this week. Let's keep pressing in. Because this is going to be a church geared around discipleship to follow the way of Jesus. And as we get the bug more and more and crack through the, 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 the revelation that comes, the restoration that needs to follow, but then the renewal of new life that bubbles up, what will start? We will experience the life of God more and more and more. And then we will finally begin to step into the great commission that we've been given to go and be disciples and to make disciples, teaching people to obey the way of Jesus. It's the way that leads to life. We are deeply committed to this journey and this is just part of it in this season. And so I want to say don't give up this morning. It does reveal and expose when you, when you try and follow Him deeply, but it restores us, renews us and leads us into new life.